The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash offer not available in all areas. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Hello to everybody on YouTube and in the podcast world, Sam. Yeah. As always, I've got to welcome them. A very special show. We're going to preview both championship games, the Rams at the Saints, Patriots at the Chiefs. We'll hit both of those games in some great detail, and then we're, br- we're going to kick you out, Sam. Yeah? You're out. Okay. Mike Renner is coming in. The people, aggressive, but okay. People have been asking for Mike. Really? At least one guy did. One guy. Yeah. One random. It's not a slight to you. It's just Mike. He's glorious with his bond, man bond and all that stuff. That's what they think. So we're going to talk draft. We're going to get a little bit of NFL draft discussion. We'll start to cycle in a little bit more draft discussion. And uh, Mike's uh, one of our draft experts. So we just kind of switch you out. All right. That's okay. That's fine. You're fine with that? That's fine. All right. Well, great. Glad you're taking it well. Let's get into it. We have, by the way, I'm I'm keeping my phone here again. We have not had a baby yet. No baby yet. So um, I really hope that she calls just so I can leave you. But How long is this going to drag out? Are you going to be nearly having a baby for like three weeks? Yeah, because he's due in three weeks. That's what I mean. She's over here having false alarms way too early. It's her fault. And we have I'm a big saying, weekend. This we is going to get tiring pretty soon. Like uh, I'm um, on board with the excitement for like a day, you know? Oh, I know. Monday, come? Monday was like, right. yeah. If this exciting. goes on for like three weeks, it's just going to get. It's stressful know. for everybody. Right. Especially this weekend, you've got the games on Sunday, of course, and Saturday night is the company party. Mm. And like, yeah, you know, this is not well timed. I don't want to be we, in. We the talked hospital. about that before. Well, you guys are eating your steaks. Oh, you are gonna like you are gonna grab the steak and walk out of the the party. Oh, I'm with taking it. my food. Yeah, right on the there's, way. There's some good food at this party. So anyway, we got to get into the previews. Okay, 
Uh, NFC Championship, Sunday afternoon, the first game, Los Angeles Rams at the New Orleans Saints. A rematch. They're both rematches. Right. And we're talking high-octane offenses this whole weekend. It's just it's going to be a great weekend of action. Four best offenses in the NFL left. Four best teams, according to PFF grade. That's left. right. That's right. Chargers may have had a better record, but actually the Patriots are graded higher. We did it right. I think we did it right. So uh, what are we looking for in this one? Can the Rams slow down the Saints offense in the dome? By the way, tale of two conferences here. The Saints, you get the indoor game, and then you got the uh, snow game. The frigid, I don't know if it's snow. Arctic it's just, blast. Which is now getting up to like 23 degrees. It's, yeah, it's not that Arctic. Disappointing. It's pretty cold. But, you know, you got the, the NFC soft with all their dome games. Anyway, what are we looking for here? Um, a couple of things. One, this Rams defense, I think, will be a different unit than it was the first time these two teams played because, mm-hmm. that. well, one, you might have playoff Sue. Playoff Sue, who was sandbagging through the regular season because, frankly, why try? We're winning. I love how one game is just yeah. created this narrative. Now we're going to get playoff Sue, who's really trying hard in the postseason. To and get playoff a, Troy Hill. To get a Super Bowl. Well, Troy Hill's going to get it. Anyway. <laughs> Plus, you've got to keep Tlaib back in the lineup, and Aqib Tlaib makes a massive difference to that team because everybody else, a cornerback, with the exception of playoff Troy Hill, um, gets gashed when he's not on the field. So There's those a two rating, things. Sorry, passer rating difference of about 41 yeah. with Tlaib on the field versus off the field. Better with him off in the field. Right. Yep. So that, those two things, I think, will make a big difference to the defense. And then the other side of the ball, I think, is fascinating because um, we finally saw the Rams adjust. You know, they'd had this incredible offense that was unstoppable for three quarters of the season. And then the final quarter, teams started to figure it out and slow it down and come up with a game plan to take away what they wanted to do. And they did that at the expense of opening up something else, right? But the Rams never took that opening. They just kept trying to do what they wanted to do and struggled. Now, the Cowboys, we speculated, would they come in? With, the, with that game plan, the thing that had been proven to work, would they actually adopt that? Because it's not really what they do on defense. Right. But they did. They came in with that game plan. And for the first time, the Rams went, well, okay, if you're going to open up something else, we'll take that instead. I think that's huge for this Rams team because it shows that progression. It shows that evolution of the offense that isn't just a one-trick pony that needs you to fail at what the thing is they want to do. If, if you take away what they want to do, they'll go to something else. And the best teams need to be able to do that in the playoffs because you're going to be going up against the rest of the best teams. So I think that game was a big statement from the Rams that they are more balanced than we thought they were. Yeah, and that balance, again, being able to take what the defense gives them. In the first matchup, Jared Goff had a fantastic game outside of the one interception that he had through the ball uh, almost directly to Alex Anzalone for a pick. Other than that, though, the numbers were great, 28 for 40 for 391 and three scores, 88.4 uh, overall grade in that game. Had a dropped interception, I've started, dropped touchdown that was a spectacular throw in that game. So Goff played well in the first matchup, and then Breeze was pretty much unstoppable in the first matchup, 25 for 36, 346 and four touchdowns, a 95.3 overall grade, 137 passer rating. This was yeah. an absolute shootout. So with Talib back, does that does this make the is this going to be as explosive of a game? I think the defense is going to play a little bit better in this one. Yeah, and I think it'll be a, a slightly different style if the Rams do get forced to the run game. That slows things down. Obviously, it's not going to be the same crazy shootout or like it was with the Rams and the Chiefs when you when 
you're forced to run the ball a lot more. It just it it, it slows the pace of the entire game. So, um, yeah, I think it may dial down a little bit. We may see a 20-something, 30-something game as opposed to whatever it was, 35-45. Um, yeah, but it'll still be – I think offense will still be the key for I, both sides. I think the key for the Rams is Marcus Peters because we talk about Tlaib. Mm-hmm. And he does solidify things. But Marcus Peters in the first matchup gave up seven out of nine for 146 to Michael Thomas yeah. in his coverage. He's been bad this including year. Including the 72-yarder uh, at the end to kind of clinch the deal. So, you know, I don't know if it's just that they've changed the way Peters plays. If Peters had a little bit more leeway in that Kansas City scheme to kind of ad-lib and do his thing. But as a pure coverage player, he's good, not great historically as far as just covering guys one-on-one where he's great though is that ability to ad lib create plays and just be a be an absolute playmaker he's not making the big plays every it used to be like well yeah he gave up 100 but he picked two passes off so who cares he doesn't have those big plays mm. to offset things so i'm looking at peters and i don't know if they're going to put him they're not necessarily going to put him on michael thomas the whole time again because you have to lead back but Man, he needs to play better, and even against Dallas, he struggled. As right, well. it does kind of open up the prospect, though. Of we haven't really had those big turnover where, turn, turnover plays from Peters, like those are still there inherently in him. You know yeah. what I mean? He is a guy that reads the play well, that understands where the ball is going to go, and will break off plays to make interceptions. We haven't really seen them yet this year, but they're you know the, the potential that they could still be out there is is very real. And so that- if if you know, at the very minimum, let's say that Talib is the guy covering Michael Thomas for most of the game. He will do a better job on him than Marcus Peters did the first time around. But then you still have Marcus Peters kind of lurking around the background that Drew Brees needs to be aware of because right. he can still make those plays. And, you know, on the other side, you've got Marshawn Lattimore playing at a higher level than he was before because he gave up, you know, five for 114 in the first matchup, uh, including a couple big plays to Brandon Cooks. So. You know that you know, I think that the corners are going to play a little bit better. And just going back to the Rams for one second, when we talked about all those offseason moves, and we said, "Man, they really got strong in the right areas." They make the Marcus Peters trade. They get to lead back. They re-sign or they bring Lamarcus Joyner back. They bring Nicole Roby Coleman back, and it's like, all right, they're they're strong in the right area in the secondary with, with of course, Aaron Donald up front. This is the game where they have to. They have to prove that, that yeah. all those offseason moves on the defensive side of the ball were worth it. Lattimore is interesting because he has a definite sort of sophomore slump compared to that incredible rookie season, but he has been playing better down the second half of the season. So he gave up two touchdowns this year, didn't give up any as a rookie. Both those two touchdowns came in the first half of the season. Um, all four of his interceptions have come in the second half of the season, along with um, you know some of the past breakups as well. His completion percentage is up this year but that again is down in the second half of the season so he's definitely playing closer to rookie level Marshawn Lattimore than he was at the first half of the year which is it's kind of like the Tlaib thing that's a big part of this this game now is that we're starting to see the best version of uh, Marshawn Lattimore let's discuss the Rams running game just a little bit because yes CJ Anderson went 23 for 123 last week and Todd Gurley had 16 carries for 115 you know, they they took what was there. The offensive line was spectacular. And now, including the playoffs, Rob Havenstein, number one run-blocking offensive tackle, and Andrew Whitworth, number two in the NFL when you include the playoffs. And then Roger Saffold's number five at guard. I mean, this is a great run-blocking unit. Do the Saints 
play the same exact way? Do they just say, "Hey, keep running it, keep running it"? We're not going to let Goff throw for three ninety one again. We're going to in that you know it's going to keep you you know a little bit lower on the scoreboard. Right. Well, that's the thing. So now. Before this game, you had a definite game plan on defense to slow down the Rams' offense because it was a couple of teams that had done it already, and they had shown that you can stop this, and the Rams hadn't yet adjusted. Now the Rams have adjusted, so what do you do? Do you roll in with the first game plan, which is we want to take away the thing you want to do, yeah. but you know that they can make the adjustment and take advantage of that, or do you say, okay, let's try and create some kind of balance on defense and then that probably opens up the thing they want to do in the first place the thing is when you don't commit numbers to the run game it's risky but you're you're just asking your defensive linemen to win and dallas's defensive linemen didn't win do the saints have the horses to maybe win against this rams offensive line i don't know if they do sheldon rankin's out for the season now loss you know cameron jordan's nice and everything but it, it takes it takes multiple guys along the front holding their gap and or making a play to you know create some some negative plays right against the number one run blocking offensive line in the game so yeah. it's it's a very tough ask like I said, the the plan going into last week was to do that but now the rams have shown that they're fine with that it right. doesn't work anymore because the rams have shown that they will make that adjustment so do you still use the same game plan that will at least force them to plan b or do you just try and create some kind of balance that hopefully limits both of them but probably opens up plan a and then on the other side, again, how do you slow down Drew Brees in the Dome? I remember looking at the first matchup in my head thinking, wow, Aaron Donald was really neutralized up front, and he had seven pressures. Yeah, It was his fourth worst grade of the year, and he had seven pressures, including four QB hits. Andrus Pete is the number 37 left guard out of 38. Larry Warford's better. He's number 19 out of 43 right guards in all the PFF grades. So I don't know. I, I think Aaron Donald's going to... I mean, they need Aaron Donald to be that take-the-game-over disruptive presence. Drew Brees in that quick passing game is just so difficult to get to him. He was only pressured 12 times in, yeah, I, I think, in the first matchup. I think what you need to do to, to get to Drew Brees and to disrupt the slow, uh, the quick passing game is what the Eagles did, which is actually just get a more aggressive in coverage. You, you, know, you basically can't stop them up front. You can't get to them quick enough if they're going to have the freedom to get the ball out of his hands that quickly. And that was what we were saying about this Eagles defensive line is that the first time around, they barely touched Drew Brees because they were able to get the ball out. The Eagles actually harried him quite a bit um, in this game because they actually they got more aggressive outside. They disrupted those receivers at the line and that bought them just a little bit more time for the pass rush to get home. So I think the Rams have to do the same kind of thing. They have to get more aggressive in coverage and they're potentially able to do that with Tlaib back and hope that that buys them enough time for Aaron Donald to beat, you know, his guy. And, and given the guy he's going up against, that should happen. And there were a lot of times last week the Eagles did a good job on first and second down, and then Drew Brees just came through on third and fourth down. He completed 89% of his passes, 11 yards per attempt, six first downs. There were some back-breaking plays. So the game plan for the Eagles was good. They took away a lot of the short stuff early, but they just failed on third down. The Rams right. can do the same exact thing. They just have to make more... Do exactly the same thing, only cover the dig route. Cover the dig route. Because the Eagles didn't do that. And we saw when Breeze threw deep, he underthrew multiple deep balls. One was intercepted. One left a touchdown on the table. Like, take away the short and intermediate stuff. Make him throw the ball down the field. All that said, what do you got for a pick here, Sam? I am going to go with the Rams to spring an upset. Really? Yeah. I haven't looked at the picks this week. I just, you know, I just typed them in and left. I didn't look at anybody. So you're taking the Rams. I'm taking the Saints. 
I'm still going with you know this home field advantage. I think is is too strong. Yeah, I just think uh, they're going to be too difficult. It's to definitely stop. real. I think I just think people are kind of us underestimating the Rams a little bit. This is a team that's still the number one graded team at PFF, and I think people looked at their struggles and basically wrote them off yeah. as okay. We've discovered we've figured out the Rams now. But I think that adjustment that they made is huge. They've now answered the thing that was causing them problems. I, I, they have the ability to go into New Orleans and win. No, I don't doubt it. I think they can as well. I'm looking forward to a good game. And then the evening game, the AFC Championship, they originally said it might be between negative 2 and 10. Now it's closer to like 18 to 23 degrees. Either way, the cold might play a factor in this Still one. pretty nippy. I, mean, I wouldn't want to be out there in a T-shirt. No, on my couch right. is a great place to be. Chiefs hosting... The Patriots, of course, they played back in week six. The Patriots the underdog won Patriots. Well, nobody believes in them. Nobody believes. 43-40, to 40, the Patriots won the first time around, despite being underdogs this whole season with nobody believing. It is nauseating, the extent to which they are trying to manufacture underdog status Look, for a team that hasn't been an underdog in a game for how long? Talking heads all how over long, the place Steve? have been calling for the end of a dynasty. How long, Steve, since they were last underdogs in a game? I don't know, like 2013 or something right. with, Bra- with Brady quarterback. It's like 2013. Yeah. Like a long time. And you go into one game and you're like, oh, we're the underdogs. Nobody thinks we can win. It's, it's, it's disgusting. You got it's talking disgusting, heads Steve. talking about Brady falling off a cliff and arm strength's not there. Like just it's manufactured fake analysis too. <laughs> so, it's, so it's all fake. Oh, it's anyway. Just, it's sickening. Um, another fascinating matchup. You've got two... Potentially explosive offenses. The Chiefs are always explosive. The Patriots, as we saw last week, still have it in them to win any given way and really pick apart defenses. But it's a different game for both teams. The Chiefs and Patriots both played these zone-heavy teams a week ago in the Colts and Chargers. This week, both teams love to play a man coverage. Yeah. It's what they did the first time around. So it's going to be it's, – it's that type of game. We're talking it's about the be, first and third team in the NFL in terms of man in, coverage. In pure man coverage. And it's not just like here's lineup, let's just line up and play man and you know, let's see what happens. They're creative man coverage teams. We always say when you play this cover one scheme, you have these extra defenders around and both teams are creative with what they do with the extra defenders. What you can do with the extra defenders is say – Go watch Tyreek Hill. Go double Gronkowski. Go double Travis Kelsey. So that's going to be the cat and mouse game in this one. Man coverage, extra defenders. What do these teams try to take away in the cold where it's a little bit tougher to pass? Well, yeah, that's the first thing is that the cold legitimately has – the weather could potentially hamper both these offenses more than either defense can. Like that that's the kind of impact the cold weather could have on this game, depending right. on where it falls in that spectrum of just, you know, pretty cold to Arctic storm with blizzards run you know, all that kind of stuff. So the the the, the cold weather could have a really big impact. And I think if it does, it's hard to su- suggest that that impact would be beneficial for anybody other than the Patriots. Like if, Yeah, I mean if you're taking the more explosive pass offense, right. which is the Chiefs, and you're bringing them back down to earth a little bit. Even if it's impacting favorable. both teams essentially the same, I think it's hurting the Chiefs more than it's hurting the Patriots. Um, that being said, you're right. It becomes really fascinating because the Chargers had probably the worst game plan you could possibly have going up against Tom Brady and did nothing to change it. The Chiefs, if nothing else, have the right game plan just by default going up against Tom Brady. They play a more man coverage scheme. Um, which is how you slow down Brady. That's not to say he can't get it done anyway, but if you're going to run something against him, this is the thing to run. Right. Um, they are also a completely different defense at home. So 
the the splits are insane. Now, part of that is manufactured by the fact they play better teams on the road than they have at home. I think for this year in particular, that's right. But we're talking about 17 points in difference. A PFF grade of 63 versus 89 when they're at home versus on the road. Those are monstrous. And it isn't just this year. Like, they've had a split of more than five points better at home for the last three straight seasons. Right. So this is an Alex Smith holdover as well. This isn't just this Mahomes team and the better teams, etc. They are a different unit at home than they are on the road. And that's big because we've said all, all year long, this Chiefs offense is so good. If the defense just plays a little bit better, they're really hard to stop. Yeah. Now, that's what they're doing. At home, they're playing a little bit better, even if it is looking a lot better because of the numbers they have going up against poorer teams. So I think they have a shot to slow down Brady. And the question is, can the Patriots defense slow down Mahomes and the Chiefs, which they kind of did the first time. Here are the interesting numbers from the first one, because um, we're talking about a Belichick. Belichick is second time around against you know the new phenom, yeah. which is just a storyline in itself, right? The first time around, by PFF grade, they held Mahomes to his lowest grade when throwing from the pocket. And I know there's a narrative out there that's like, oh, you got to keep Mahomes in the pocket. You got to keep Mahomes in the pocket, which, you know, to a point, you're going to want to do that. But he also has a passer, a near identical passer rating inside and outside the pocket on the season. And the number one passer rating from inside the pocket. Right. So it's not like now a lot of the inside the pocket stuff, the reason why the passer rating is up because that's where you have all your screen passes, right? So obviously. And that's, you know, the. The tap passes. The tap passes, all the, the cheap stuff. Right. So in theory, so those don't count because you're not keeping him in the pocket. He's going to be from the pocket on those plays. So technically, you do probably want to keep him in the pocket. And that's always been Belichick's team goal is to, you know, let's keep these mobile guys in the, in the pocket and let's, you know, take our chances there. In the first matchup, they also did a really good job of throwing some zero blitzes, like scary zero blitzes, remember? Where yes. it's like Tyreek Hill's one-on-one and he's 12 steps behind somebody. Yeah. And you're just praying as a defense that you get to Mahomes. And it just did. And he just underthrew it or whatever right. it was. He was cocked, ready to throw that yeah. ball, and the blitz just got to him in time. The Chiefs might be ready for those. Now, if the Chiefs are ready for those this week, then here's a quick 75-yard touchdown, right? Yeah. And they had a couple of those 70-plus-yard scores uh, in that game. But they weren't necessarily against – they were against zone. They were against, like, cover two, like the most conservative type of plays because Mahomes was so special outside the pocket. He averaged over 14 yards per attempt – outside the pocket that was the highest of the season so you know the Patriots are looking that saying all right we're going to take our chances inside the pocket make him make good decision after good decision after good decision which he's done and this is a pick your poison type of thing we keep mentioning Mahomes has the second lowest percentage of negatively graded throws that's insane for the type of you know just the type of chances and difficult throws that he makes second lowest percentage of negatively graded throws behind only Drew Brees that's the scary thing when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes. That's the most impressive thing about his season is there's really no formula. You just kind of right. take your chances with him inside the pocket, making good decision after good decision. I mean, that's what we've been saying is that I don't know what the game plan is to slow down Mahomes. Probably it's trying to keep him in the pocket, but it's not like that's working. Right. <laughs> like that's maybe the lesser of two evils, but he's still carving everybody up from inside the pocket. It, so, yeah, I mean, the... The thing I think they really need to figure out is how they address the weapons that Kansas City has. Now, the one difference from the first time around is there's no Kareem Hunt. And not because he's – forget the running game aspect of that. Kareem Hunt, one of the things that is kind of lesser appreciated about him on the field is his – the way he was a weapon as a receiver. Like he would go one-on-one with guys – 
um, get really favorable matchups and be deep down the field as a, a receiving target. Um, Williams has done really well in his stead as a between as a ball carrier as a running back, but is he the same kind of matchup problem? Because they 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 were able to get a few decent looks with Kareem Hunt in the first game one on one with some linebackers. Uh, he had multiple steps on Dante Hightower. Right. Now, play. do they have those same plays there with Williams? I don't know, but that's a potential mismatch. Then the Patriots need to figure out what to do with Tyreek Hill because he is the most dangerous player in this offense, and can you dedicate enough resources to him without leaving Travis Kelsey wide, wide open all day? No, and, that's the big challenge. And we saw last week Sammy Watkins came back and made some plays. So you can't completely forget about Watkins. He played in the first matchup. Stephon Gilmore faced him most of the time. Gilmore right. is our top-graded corner. Uh, Watkins only caught two out of four for about 18, I think it was, the first matchup. So the way the Patriots generally do this, they, I could see them taking Gilmore, putting him on Watkins, and then saying, okay, team effort on Tyreek and team effort on Kelsey. It comes to this cover-one type thing. Do you put somebody at the line of scrimmage to try to beat up Tyreek Hill, which rarely works well we saw that with Jalen Ramsey this year we've seen it with well, good big corners who they can't always get their hands on can't him. always but I think that's the only way of doing it like Ramsey I think it worked with Ramsey it's just that when it doesn't work it's bad the problem with that is it's an all-or-nothing strategy right and how many times how many times do you need the nothing part of that before it's a bad plan overall like Ramsey held you know 60 plays in a game if Ramsey if it works 60 plays in a game 40 passes Let's say it works 38, but the two times it doesn't, it's at least 30 yards down the sideline. It's an automatic now, touchdown. Now, is that, is that worth it? Like, how many of those bad plays do you need before it's, it's a failing strategy? The trouble, the trouble with it is, you know, you're trying to avoid those big plays. It sounds good in theory, but Tyree Kill's not a static player. You don't just always know where he is. He's in motion half the time. Right. He's all over the place. It's not as simple as you're going to go press him, you're going to play safety over the top. But I do think if, if you're talking strategy, if in just broad terms, you're playing cover one, you have somebody assigned to him, and you, take, you have two extra players to play with, one of them's keeping an eye on Tyree Kill, the other one's keeping an eye on Travis Kelsey. And you make Sammy Watkins, you have your, be, you have your best corner, who's Gilmore on Watkins, and you make the other guys beat you as best you can, yeah. in theory. I mean, that's got to be New England's. Strategy. Right. You keep Mahomes in the pocket. You try to take away two devastating weapons with essentially team help and double teams, and you leave Gilmore one on one with the third guy in the offense and hope it's enough. Have you seen um, a lot of Tom Brady numbers floating around there over the last few days when you look at his playoff output and everything? His last, in just his games at age 35 or older, he's played 16 games. He's thrown for 5,284 yards over his last 16 playoff games. Mm-hmm. So essentially, Mahomes threw for just over 5,000 this year. Yeah. Brady's done that in his last 16 playoff games. 34 touchdowns, 95.3 passer rating, 12-4 and record. Still getting better overall. So I wouldn't write off Brady just yet, even though I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to okay. take the Chiefs. Yeah. Because I just think they're the better team. The home field advantage is key. I'm going to take the Chiefs as well, though I get way more concerned about that if the weather is bad. Yeah. If if the weather is bad enough that it's really impacting both those offenses, I think the Patriots are much better positioned to succeed in terrible conditions. Do we see uh, another – is this an epic game? You know, Brady has a chance to – to make a big comeback at the end, or are we seeing one where the Chiefs pull away? I don't know. I, it's tough to. I mean, it's tough to pick against Brady. Period. But it's really tough to picture games where they just 
don't have a shot, right? You, they're always they're always close enough that it's right. at least in the in the balance towards the end. Plus, I think as viewers, we all deserve to see the moment where in a two minute drive at the end of the game, Brady's about to get it done, and Tony Romo just goes like full off the scale on yeah. Here we go, Jim. There comes Tommy Brady's coming out. Right, if he, I mean, the big they, they have the Super Bowl as well, don't they? Oh yeah. Can you imagine we Brady, Brady for both of those. a game-winning drive in the Super Bowl? Like Romo would just, he would overload. He would just, you, the broadcast would end. That's like, what we're rooting for. Like one of those, you know, um, uh, one of those kind of end of broadcast beeps where it's just beep. Except it would be Romo, like, and he would just, the brain would be fried, eyes roll that's, back in his head. That's what we're rooting for. Yeah, that's what I want to see. So I'm picking the Chiefs, which means I'm picking Chiefs Saints. And you're picking Chiefs-Rams. Yeah, rematch. rematch. Rematch of the best game ever in NFL history, apparently, if you listen to some people. Well, it was exciting, 54-51. So there you have it. That's our championship week preview. We're now going to kick you out. I'm out. And I'm uh, you're just, all right. Thanks for your work, Sam. It's uh, Thanks, Mike Renner time. Let's discuss a little NFL draft. All right, segment two of the podcast. Let's start discussing the NFL draft. Welcome in, Mike Renner. Welcome back. Feels good to be back. Uh, draft season is my favorite season because that's when you guys let me back on the podcast. That is when we let you back. So we'll have uh, more and more of you on the podcast moving forward. We'll be doing some weekly draft stuff. Eventually, we'll be doing probably two draft podcasts per week because that's what the people want, Mike. They love it. So it matters. let's start just with a broad overview. We'll, we'll have many different ways we're going to attack this. We'll talk about position groups, our favorite players, our big boards. We'll mm-hmm. talk about mock drafts and all that stuff. Do you want to do a mock in a couple weeks, by the way? Of course. Okay. So you don't want to do a mock every single day. <laughs> Let's do it. In two weeks, yeah. you're going to do a mock. Right. My, do- my mock's doing pretty well. Everybody's watching it on YouTube. Everybody's watching it. So I think we'll just have sides. competition so you can yeah. have that the most viewed. Okay. Continue. All right. So um, we're going to hit the biggest draft storylines. So mm-hmm. about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, just going through the biggest storylines. So let's start. With the quarterback situation, it's always the biggest story. Yes. Last year, there were five first-round quarterbacks. This year, well, four and a f- wide receiver. But continue. Wow, <laughs> four and a wide receiver. Still, the jokes never get old. Playoff still... quarterback. Don't talk about Josh Allen like that. That's oh. not. He's more of a tight end. Playoff quarterback <laughs> Lamar Jackson. You're calling a wide receiver. Ouch. It's so, a joke, guys. Right. Last year, five first-round quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, this quarterback class is loaded. This year, major question marks. Now Kyler Murray says he's going to the NFL draft, or at least declaring. What are we looking at here with this quarterback situation? Yeah, I think about midway through this past season, we were wondering if there was anyone who was going to be worthy of a first-round pick. Now I think we've settled on the fact that Dwayne Haskins, after he closed the season strongly, we questioned him after that Penn State game where he really crumbled uh, under pressure in that one. Close season strong. I think we're comfortable with him in the first round. We also like Kyler Murray from what he's done. If he does end up going to the NFL draft from a, just say basically a skill set standpoint, he's not a perfect prospect by any means. He's not there well, no, he's by any means. But he, the skills that he has as a passer and runner are enough to put him in the first round. But then after that, it's if someone else is going in the first round, it's going to be reachy for sure in our opinion at this point yeah the drew lock though daniel jones they're rumored to be there at this point which i don't love drew lock has grown on me Mm -hmm. i'll i'll say i've liked his progression year over year at missouri daniel jones just not there yet i mean this is purely he's six five quarterback if in case yeah duke quarterback daniel jones six five two twenty um 
one of those guys who's kind of on the watch list because he's got NFL type skills. He can make NFL type throws, and he's got pretty good movement for you know a six five, two hundred twenty plus pound player. He just has not been good on a throw for throw basis the last couple of years. Will Greer's another guy that we really like. Probably just feel more comfortable with him. Yes. At the back end of the first. Let's discuss Kyler really quick because that's mm-hmm. the biggest story of this whole thing. I mean, he's five foot ten, but he goes out there, he's got our highest graded passing grade, highest graded rushing grade last year at Oklahoma. Um, he's not as good as Baker Mayfield. I think we're just gonna yes. keep saying that over mm-hmm. and over again. Even though the grade was similar, we had three years of data on Baker playing at an elite level, not just one. And Baker did most of his stuff in the pocket and in places that translates to the next level. Yes. And Kyler's a step below that. But he's still a very good prospect. Yes, and he's a, he's going to be a difficult eval because defense has also played him differently than they played Baker. True. Yeah. He faced basically more three-man rushes, or he did face more three-man rushes than any other quarterback in the country this yeah, about season. About a third of his dropbacks. And also had more clean pockets than basically any quarterback in the country this season. He was sitting back there all day long. It didn't have to make quick sort of NFL progressions to make plays down the field. Now, when the ball left his hand, from when the ball left his hand to where it go, went to the wide receiver, he was about as good as any quarterback in the country, probably the best quarterback in the country in terms of that. But that's only part of the game in the NFL. You have to be able to do a lot of other things to play the quarterback position successfully. So will he get to that point? That's the tough one to part. But I'm going to bet on the guy who has that arm talent, the guy who has that skill set already, than the guy who's wildly inaccurate but you know looks the part already. So here, and so here's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Most people are going to say, well, Kyler Murray comes with a lot of question marks because he's five ten. Mm-hmm. But who has more question marks, Kyler Murray or Drew Locke or Daniel Jones? Yes, right. It's it's the six four quarterbacks that have bigger question mm-hmm. marks because Drew Locke has not done a good job. He's not in a system that really works on this a whole lot, but he doesn't go through progressions, get to a second read, have great footwork in the pocket. Same thing with Daniel Jones. Throw for throw accuracy, his ability to get to the next receiver accurately hasn't been great. Will Greer, I have more concerns about maybe downfield arm strength a little bit. I I like his accuracy. He could throw at the intermediate level. Um, He had a ton of uh, deep balls that were that were pretty good in the Big Twelve, but you know it doesn't always yeah exactly translate. So I think those guys might have more question marks than Kyler, but everybody's going to talk about Kyler's height. Yeah, everyone's going to talk about his height, but it goes back to not going to say like Baker last year, but if the one knock on him, if the biggest knock on him is his height, I don't think that's really a knock. It's if you're disregarding a guy because he's undersized. Well, I don't think you're looking at how the game is played in 2018 and you know in 2019. It's only going to trend that way more in the future. It is not a pure pocket passing game anymore. So much of what wins in the NFL today is outside the pocket or utilizing the quarterback as a rushing threat, utilizing his legs, not necessarily you know getting him exposing him to more shots, but just having that threat there impacts defenses so much. And we've seen it with a ton of quarterbacks now. It's been proven again and again that. That can work in the NFL. And so uh, if you're writing him off because of that, I think you're just wholly uh, close-minded. So I agree. This is the time for him to enter the NFL. Mm-hmm. I do think if this was maybe 10, 15 years ago, maybe yes. he's saying, no, I'm going to play exactly. baseball. Nobody's going to give me this opportunity. Let's wrap up the QB discussion with Haskins. Um, a lot of people are calling him maybe the slam dunk top quarterback off the board. And I like a lot of what he does. I think his balance in the pocket is really nice. Mm. He, play, he throws really well from a clean pocket. He's got good zip on the ball, accurate to the intermediate level, which I think is you know huge. I mean, the, the most important thing probably at the NFL level, I do hate how he played under pressure. And I know we always talk about here about how consistent clean pocket stuff is versus under pressure, but he was at such a poor level from a PFF grade standpoint. 
And it was in those big games, those big road games against a Penn State, um, against Purdue, and other games where he really did struggle anytime guys were in his face. So that's where I have question marks about Haskins. Also, his numbers were a little inflated. He had a great scheme and playmakers mm-hmm. there. So I thought he was good, not great last year for Ohio State. Yeah, he does. He's not without question marks. And I, again, when you see a guy only play for one year, and I guess this applies to Kyler Murray too, you just get a little concerned with small sample size because you haven't faced. Uh, it just you'd like to see a breadth of a guy playing two, three, four years, sort sure. of like Mitchell Trubisky coming out. He just only had that one season to where. Uh, you know, when you have those question marks, like Trubisky had the NC State game, I think it was, where it was just you have this ugly on tape. You don't know if that's something that he sort of hid well and is going to come out right. more at the next level or if that uh, is just a blip on the radar. And, and we use the term with Trubisky that yeah, maybe he's got more room to grow. And you could say that for Haskins. Right? Mm-hmm. They're still, and for Kyler. I mean, they're young quarterbacks from a starting standpoint. So does that give them more room for, to grow or does that just cloud your evaluation because you have less to work off like you're saying. So those are the types of question marks we'll be hoping to answer over I will these say next that. couple uh, Haskins arm talent, love his arm talent. So, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I do I love his arm quite a bit. So we um, what we're doing here at PFF, we've got the production grade for all these guys and then we go back, we rewatch these guys. Zach Robinson's going to be getting in there on all the quarterbacks. He's got some strong opinions on all these guys. He's training a couple guys mm. out in California Ooh, right now. That sounds like conflict of interest, I'll just say. No, he's Zach is very honest. I know, but it's still, right. I'm kidding. That's, we do protect him, though. Yeah. We protect him. He can't, <laughs> he can't trash guys yeah. that he's working with. But he's very honest about his evaluations, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Um, so we'll have much more on the quarterbacks moving forward. The second biggest story, Mike, mm-hmm. defensive line. Yes. There's a million guys here. Great, how do we, how do great we draft to be in need of defensive line. Uh, just going through a little napkin, back of the napkin sort of count here. I thought counted 13 very realistic number 13 being 13 defensive linemen going in the first round of this draft that could even go higher with guys you know moving throughout the draft process depending on you know, who tests well who has a good senior bowl that sort of thing i think realistically 13 is almost like a baseline i think that is where we're going to end up when it comes you know late april who ends up getting off the board we're talking about quinn and williams he was our top guy mm-hmm. Um, do you have Ed Oliver on this list? I don't even have Ed Oliver on that list. I'm but, looking at this list that you wrote <laughs> down here, and you even forgot Ed Oliver. The guy, fourteen. That, That's yeah. why I said thirteen is the baseline. People were talking Could about Ed Oliver going round. top ten. So there's multiple reasons why Ed Oliver might not, might not go top ten. Mm-hmm. First off, because there's thirteen other guys that yeah. are in this mix in the first round, and secondly, because yeah, he's probably about 275 pounds and six foot one. And we usually are the people that are like, now nah, worry about production, not the size. But that's our bigger concern with Oliver than the 270 pounds is the fact that he never really dominated in the AAC AAC from a pass rush perspective. Was it 25 pressures this past season? And that was his his highest of his career. His best year of rushing the passer. Which, you know, Quinton doubled that this year. You just, that's not great for a guy who you you think this undersized guy is going to struggle then more in the run game at the next level. An undersized defense tackle, you worry about him struggling, not in the run game, not as a pass rusher. He hasn't even done it as a pass rusher yet. While the traits are certainly there, you'd love to have seen him do right. it already. I wish he would have gone to – this is not no offense to Houston, anyone who went to Houston, Houston coaching staff, if you're listening, no offense. A school with better coaching staff uh, that would have developed him more yeah. <laughs> than they did at Houston because he was the same player basically he was freshman year in and terms that, of the developmental curve wise. But that might work in his favor, right? Yeah. When you say okay, when he does get NFL coaching, coaching. and mm-hmm. that's that's that sounds cliche, but I like the way you're, you're using it because specifically what you saw with your eyes. Yeah. 
and um, it just did you know, not. Improve. We're on the same page mm-hmm. as far as that. So we're talking Quinnen Williams from Alabama, Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson, Josh Allen from Kentucky could be a top five pick now. Yeah, we've got a big profile on him coming out very soon. That would that I think is very well done by our video guys. Be just keep your eyes open for mm-hmm. that on uh, on YouTube shortly. Jakai Polite from Florida. Um, did you even get Burns in here? I didn't get Brian Burns. Got Brian Burns. Fifteen I'm guys. Awful. I'm just looking I, at the I list. Of, I like how you did it off the top of your head. It and we're was. still missing guys here. Draymond Jones, Jerry Tillery. So there's a lot of players. There's three Clemson players. Cleveland Farrell is in there as well. Mm-hmm. Brian Burns from Florida State. So I'm just naming a bunch of players. Sean Gary, Montez Sweat, Nick Bosa. Rashawn Gary and Montez Sweat feel like the guys that there's a little bit of projection there. It's trade. Gary is so projection. Gary really point. is. Yes, but I if I'd be very surprised if he doesn't go in the first round. People just, are, keep asking me why Rashawn Gary's not in my first round mock, and it's because you'll hear us say this over and over. We feel best about our defensive line grades as far as translating to the NFL. Mm-hmm. So it just raises a question mark. It's not that he can't do it, but if there's one place where I'm going to rely on the grades more than other places based off our four years, five years now doing this, mm-hmm. it's on the defensive line. And Gary never dominated in college. Not even, yeah, not even close to dominating. It even didn't even really have games where he took over where it's like, oh, he should. Uh, Gary was everywhere in that right. game. You know, Even against what... When you have that physical sort of advantage, it should at least show up when you're facing slap tackles who don't know what they're doing, who are you know 285 pounds and can't hold up to a bull rush to save their lives. That's when you should take over games. Rashad Gary didn't even do that. Chase Winovich did it a lot more than him. Correct. His uh, high energy teammate mm. on the other side. Mike. Ooh, let's let's. Oh, we need like a cliche segment, but we'll do that later. Yeah. High energy <laughs> motor guy. Uh, Nick Bosa, you. Mentioned briefly, but yeah, he's in the running to be the number one overall pick, by the way, because we have yeah. two years plus another 112, 115 snaps or so from last year where he just he did dominate. He just yes. straight dominated, straight uh, start to finish. We hate making the brother comps, but from a grade standpoint, the college grades for Nick versus Joey Bosa, very, very similar. And we've seen mm-hmm. what Joey's done at the NFL level. So the defensive line class, that's your second biggest story. Where could do be all half these the guys first fall? round. I mean, it could be half the first round, realistically. That's not even exaggeration and it's i don't even think it's one of those where they're going to get pushed down because there's so many good ones and you'll find one in the second round no because they're all so good and everyone covets defensive line so highly that you better go get one because there's some there's a handful of elite and then there's a handful of good and then i'm not sure there's a ton of second and third rounders that i'm going to be coveting highly i think they might fall though because if you look there's always going to be a team Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the receivers in a second but there's always going to be a team that's like all right let me just squeeze these couple offensive linemen in there and i need i need a tackle yeah there's always some rogue safety that, that ends needs, up in the yeah. first round someone hello. dressed purely based on need terrell edmonds gets, hello uh yeah. so you just never really know mm-hmm. um so yeah th- there are so many players that could or you look at the raiders with three picks and you they know they need defensive, three linemen. defensive linemen or maybe like, they could do they <laughs> well i mean at least get two they could at least get yes. two and yeah. completely revamp that pass rush all right, let's discuss the wide receiver class, the third biggest story about, uh, you know, with, with regard to this draft class. Uh, it's similar to the defensive linemen, although probably with more question marks. There are a bunch of big receivers in this class. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys who have first-round type of talent, but you've talked about this a lot. The way the NFL's going, do we really want these 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", wide receivers? 
and you know what happens with the wide receiver board who's the first wide receiver off the board it's wide open that's more of the biggest question with me it's not necessarily you know who's number one whatever because every team's going to have their own eval but it's the fact that we have this wide receiver class where a good chunk of the top guys are these contested catch larger wide receivers not necessarily the route runners the separators the quicker guys they are you know Nikhil Harry Kelvin Harmon JJ Arcega Whiteside DK Metcalf Akeem Butler all six fours or above all big catch radius guys, all not extremely athletic enough to where you say, oh, they're you know on the Julio Jones level of large, where it doesn't really matter. You're gonna you're athletic enough and big enough that you're just gonna be separating constantly. That's what separates Julio. Not to use you know, no yes. pun. So Julio and AJ Green, yes, good route runners. They can get open, and oh by the way, in contested catches, they can win. Yes. So uh, I don't think any of them are at that level. So at that point. I'm not calling them Laquan Treadwell, but I do think that that has the that is a higher sort of bust rate of those guys who can't uh, separate consistently at a high level. The bigger guys, I'm not sure you're trending. The NFL's trending towards that, so we'll see where that sort of group of guys ends up getting taken. So does that make PFF's highest graded receiver Andy Isabella yes, it does. a little bit more coveted? <laughs> yeah. no, I or Marquise Brown is more of a speed guy. I do think Andy Isabella, not to get derailed here, but I think he's going to be this year's Cooper Cup in terms of no one's going to take him in the first round. You no one is willing to take a 5-9 white receiver in the first round uh, and wow. say, uh, you know, we're going to make him, oh, he's going to be our number 1 because you want number one, you know, in quotation marks, sort of traits from a guy you're going to draft in the first round. But at the same time, I think he's going to be incredibly productive because he does separate. He is incredibly fast. He has all the tools to win at the NFL level, but someone's going to take him around two, three, and get a great player. Wow. So the wide receiver class, there's so guys like Nikhil Harry, who seemed like he was destined to be a first round pick a few years ago, mm-hmm. might actually be better as a second round prospect. As we get they might this. get pushed down. Yes, JJ Arcega Whiteside, who I love from Stanford. I mean, they just straight, they just straight used him as a power forward at times. They, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. They would just go tell him <laughs> box, box out. out and like here call for the ball, and and he would he would do it. Great body control, DK Metcalf and that upside. So there, oops, there's upside. Oh. DK Metcalf. Uh, a lot of people talking about him as the first round pick. He's kind of like the Rashawn Gary of wide receivers, though. Right. Yes. He's got all the skills, but just never, never really dominated. Really got dominated, correct. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack with this wide receiver class. And again, we're only scratching the surface on our draft evaluations. We've got the grades; those are the the guiding light, so to speak. And then we kind of sift through and figure out the most important parts of them and what we see from skill sets and everything. So that's what we'll be doing over these next few weeks. All right, let's wrap this up. Those are the three biggest storylines. We always like to have segments where we say, okay, we've either just watched these guys and you know these guys are standing out to us. Or my guys. No, yeah, this is my guy. This is your my guy segment? This is a my guy. All right. The, give early me, my guy. Give me one guy that's your guy that you like more than other people. Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU. I think he is a surefire first-round pick. Now, Whoa. I'm not sure he goes in the first round because, little backstory, uh, two years ago he cheated on a drug test at LSU. I admire the fact that he admits he cheated on the drug test. He said as much, but that comes with a two-year suspension when you cheat on it. So he was suspended for two years, ended up appealing, got it reduced to one year. This was his first year of actually playing college football, and he matched Greedy Williams. Play for play, this past season was fantastic there in the secondary for LSU. I think he's more athletic than Greedy. I think he has better makeup speed. He really is incredibly smooth. Uh, I don't have a lot of question marks about him. I think he's in that top cornerback group for me. Now, I don't know where he's going to go. Like I said, the off-field is there, but 
That's my guy at the moment. That's your guy. Add it. So we've in our draft document, Mike, we do have the My Guys tab. So oh. if you want to throw them start up. accumulating that, we like to keep track of these things. Okay, my guy for this week, uh, you mentioned him earlier, Hakeem Butler, the big dude from mm-hmm. Iowa State. I noticed it. So he was a preseason my guy for me. Yeah. As we're going through our preseason stuff, and it's like, all right, this guy's flashed this or, you know, showing a little bit of this. I think he could break out. And Hakeem Butler made me look good in that regard because. He showed up a lot, you know, at times on tape, and then this year was just uh, really, really good. Same question marks as these other big receivers. Can he separate? But the, I think the thing I liked about him was that he moves pretty well for six foot six, yeah, and has that body control and contested catch ability. Twenty two so. yards per catch this season, yeah. ridiculous deep threat, and he had that one play against gosh, who was it? The highlight where he just Oklahoma rolled over. Yes, I think it was against Oklahoma. Yes, that was got me a lot of retweets. Yeah, I put that video out there. But I've you know that was freakish. That's a there's a metric right there. How many times do I um, cap your plays, put them yeah. on Twitter, tweet them out, Count and how get, well do they let's do? Let's get George and Eric, the analytics team, to break that down. Yeah. RTs by – that could – Yeah, how many retweets and likes do you get on your biggest plays? Versus production in the NFL. That could be – there's something there. Because I think if if there's a correlation there, Hakeem Butler has a bright yeah. future. Hakeem Butler is an under-the-radar guy. Yeah, had some spectacular We've identified plays. him as an RT legend. <laughs> So that's my guy that we're highlighting for this week. We'll be doing that every week. We'll be highlighting guys that uh, we like a little bit more than others. Just scratching the surface on our draft content, Mike. It's good to have you back. Glad to be back. We'll be, uh, we'll be doing a lot more in future weeks. Definitely want everybody's feedback as well. So what do you guys want to hear about? If you guys have specific questions, this is a great time to do it as we're going through all of our draft evaluations. Thanks to everybody for listening to listening to the PFF NFL podcast. And we'll be back here Monday morning with an AFC and NFC Championship Week review. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it. After the fact, I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.